It's really funny that we're talking about anxiety, because right now, my hands are shaking. <laughs> uh, tingling, actually. Um, and I just had to go walk in the back and just pace for a minute. Well, we're good. We're good. We're going to get through this. Okay. <laughs> right. All right. Thank you for being here. Thank you for giving me this opportunity um, to share with you some of the things I've learned in my struggle with anxiety and what I've learned about God in the process. So I'm going to start with a story. Um, about three years ago, I was sitting in Christine's office in a nondescript 70s-style office building on a quiet cul-de-sac in Brentwood. The walls were white and boring and didn't offer much to stare at while contemplating the questions she had just asked me. A few months earlier, I had began experiencing panic attacks again and was ready to try a new approach to dealing with chronic anxiety. I started looking for a therapist, specifically a clinical therapist with a Christian perspective, if that was a thing. I thought I was looking for, you know, an elf, I don't know. Um, and thankfully, a Christian friend recommended Christine. I was eager to share this burden with her in hopes of finding a solution. As I began to share my story with her, as I understood it then, a theme began to emerge. I was overwhelmed with life, and I felt guilty about it. I was weighed down with feelings of wanting to be a better Christian. I knew I should pray more and read my Bible more, but somehow the guilt wasn't enough to drive me toward it. I was fixated on being a stay-at-home mom and having a life that looked different than mine and frustrated that I couldn't make it happen. And on this particular day, everything had just bubbled up into a laundry list of problems that just together felt insurmountable. And every solution I'd come up with for one problem made another one worse, and I just felt like the whole world was against me and that I was alone in my fight. In stark contrast to the hurried state in which I had just dumped everything in front of her, Christine, in what I can only describe as godly wisdom and compassion, looked me in the eyes and slowly returned. Callie, you're carrying so much weight on your shoulders. What would it look like to give all of this to Jesus? The question flooded my brain. I didn't fully comprehend the deep curiosity that she was inviting me into. My mind quickly moved past the love she was showing me in that moment and went straight to trying to answer the question. <laughs> what would it look like to hand all of my burdens to Jesus? I closed my eyes and tried to imagine myself standing in front of Jesus, handing him a pile of clutter and dirty laundry and countless decisions that needed to be made and a clock that didn't give me enough hours in a day and family drama I couldn't fix. But when I opened my eyes, I was still looking at that same blank white wall and knew that nothing had really changed. You see, my idea of trusting God looks like asking God for something and then proceeding with life like it was taken care of. 
You know, this idea that perfect faith looked like asking God to take care of a problem and being able to just let go of that thought forever because I could consider it done. But those boxes that I had put my problems in and handed and tried to hand to Jesus in this thought exercise were really just stacking up in the corner of the room. I could ignore them and pretend that they were, that they were gone for a little while, but soon they would mound up and pour over into my view again to overwhelm me. As I realized that I had ju just imagined wasn't really giving my burdens to Jesus. I met Christine's eyes once again and admitted in defeat. I don't know. David declared in Psalm 55, cast your burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you. And, for, and Peter said in 1 Peter 5, verse 7, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Why was that so hard for me to visualize? What was holding me back from giving my burdens to God? What, is, what does that have to do with anxiety? These are some of the questions that I'd like to explore with you this evening. Let's back up a little because I just flew past our theme verse. <laughs> Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. So are we talking about anxiety? Are we talking about burdens? Yes, because I think that anxiety is both a burden and the result of carrying our burdens, right? I think that's intuitive in the language we use. We say, I'm anxious about this event, or I'm anxious about my father's health, or, you know, you know these burdens that we carry um, make us anxious and give us anxiety. But then we also talk about anxiety as like a clinical diagnosis, as in like she suffers with anxiety. And I think in reality, it's really a spectrum, you know, from mild concern to a debilitating disease is how anxiety can show up. So what does it look like? Um, anxiety is experienced through our thoughts, feelings, and physical sensations. As I said, my hands are tingling. Um, <laughs> it's getting better. Um, uh, Solomon acknowledged this in Proverbs 17, 22. He said, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. It has a physical effect on our bodies. Proverb, he also said in Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good, work, a good word makes him glad. I've, I found a couple of descriptions of other people that other people wrote about anxiety, and I thought that they were um, very good descriptions, so I want to share them with you. Uh, one person said, for me, anxiety feels as if everyone in the world is waiting for me to trip up so that they can <coughs> laugh at me. It makes me feel nervous and unsure what the next step I take is the, whether the next step I take is the best way forward. 
Um, another description <laughs> uh, that I was feeling a little bit when I was sitting over here. Um, it says, you know that feeling when you're rocking on the back legs of your chair and suddenly for a split second you think you're about to fall? That feeling in your chest? Imagine that split second feeling being frozen in time and lodged in your chest for hours or days. And imagine with it that sense of dread sticking around too. But sometimes you don't even know why. Other things I've experienced um, are a rapid heartbeat, nausea, uh, um, muscle tension in uh, um, my jaw. I had suffered with TMJ for a while, found out that was why. Uh, and your shoulders, of course. Lightheadedness, feeling like you're going to pass out. Uh, fear um, and like a desire to escape and get out of a situation and lots of negative thoughts. But where does it come from? Where does anxiety come from? I would like to suggest that there are two elements at the heart of anxiety, and they are fear and shame. We have a fear of pain and suffering. We have a fear of being hurt by other people. We have a fear of being alone, fear that the worst will happen. Any burden that you carry can bring fear with it. And the, the way this shows up in our bodies is under the threat, um, under threat, our bodies react by releasing certain hormones, such as adrenaline and cortisol, and they facilitate this fight, flight, freeze, or fawn response. I don't know if you've heard of fawn before, but it's basically, basically trying to appease something in hopes that it will keep you safe. Um, so, but the thing is, is that a continuous stream of these hormones will wreak havoc on our bodies. God designed our bodies to protect us from danger, but he never intended us to stay in that zone. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, um, sorry, in Paul's letter to Timothy, he starts with a section about guarding what the Holy Spirit is. Spirit has gifted us with. And he says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Um, fear is not from God. He gives us ways to deal with fear. The fear is not from God. The second thing that I think plays hand in hand with fear is shame. Shame says, I am not enough. I am not worthy. I can't do anything right. I can't fix this problem. I should pray more. I should read my Bible more. I should raise my children this way. There's a lot of shoulds and self-criticism that is wrapped up in fear and shame. God says about shame, though, fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Do not be confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will not forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. There's a relatively new field. Okay, so I'm a science nerd, right? So 
Hello, I have to bring science into this. Well, it turns out there is this relatively new field of science called interpersonal neurobiology that I find quite fascinating um, because it brings together multiple fields of science, including like psychology and neuroscience and biology that were once like isolated in silos, which I think is fantastic because it gives us a bigger picture of how God created us. Um, uh, it has a lot to do with attachment theory, which really seeks to understand how our experiences from the moment we are born shape our mind, um, shape and mold our minds, um, and that it can be difficult, but that our minds can be transformed and renewed, sound familiar, uh, because of a quality called neuroplasticity. I just think that's the coolest word ever. Um, also, it also found that um, we have basic emotional needs that facilitate, that have to be present for us, for neuroplasticity to take place, for our brains to transform and renew and, and rewire themselves. We have to have these basic emotional needs met, which is to be seen, like understood, um, soothed, comforted, safe, and secure. I would like to show you how God not only provided our brains a way to change and heal, but that he also provided everything we need to make it happen. Um, now, I do not want to, I can't, I can't walk in here and talk about anxiety and just over, completely overlook that there are lots of confounding factors involved in anxiety, especially uh, um, people who've suffered with it for a long time. Um, a lot of, there's several physiological factors that come into play, genetics, hormones, other issues that can affect um, brain chemistry. Um, and I do not want to overlook that. And um, also, I want to point out that there are many types of medications and therapies that have their place in dealing with anxiety um, and getting to the point where you can allow healing. Um, I am so thankful to God that these resources exist, and I am happy to talk to anybody about those things, about my knowledge, my experience. Um, in that area, but for keeping with the theme, I will continue. But I will point out that God does invite us to take care of our bodies. Um, when Elijah felt alone and depressed uh, to the point of death, God strengthened him with a warm meal and a jar of water and sleep before sending him off on a journey to Mount Sinai, where he experienced God's presence. So never underestimate the power of a nap and a snack. Another complicating factor is trauma. We live in a broken world, and we're hurt by other people. We're hurt by not only our own sins, but also by the darkness and imperfections of the world around us. And some of the anxiety that some people feel is really the nervous system trying to regulate itself in the face of those things. And... Um, 
that can require trauma therapy like EMDR or brain spotting or equine therapy. There's so many resources out there, and I think God has put those out there for a reason because he wants us to not live in this forever. Where does anxiety lead? So the first thing that um, anxiety does is um, it asks us to protect ourselves, right? We will instinctually do whatever it takes to avoid pain. I don't know if you've noticed this in yourself, I've noticed it myself. <coughs> this is what I think of when we talk about living according to the flesh, is just giving in to our bodily instincts that haven't been retrained and avoiding things that are intended to help us grow. Um, I can talk about this because it's all women. Um, in birthing classes, you are taught to practice deep breathing during a contraction. And the reason is, is if you allow your instincts to take over and you tense up the moment a contraction starts, it makes the pain so much worse. Um, and once you tense up, just in case you ever want to know, you can't relax again until that contraction's over. So it's really important that we um, not try to avoid our pain because all we end up doing is making it worse. We have to experience it. We have to give, give ourselves over to it in a way that um, allows us to work through it instead of trying to escape. Um, anxiety also causes us to put up walls. I, we fear that someone might hurt us because of the way that we've been hurt in the past. And of course, this has an effect on our relationships. It causes us to seek control, as um, Allison mentioned. Uh, we do like to do that. Um, we um, want, we think that we have to take care of things ourselves. That's the only way that things are gonna work out. Ecclesiastes teaches us that this is an illusion. We cannot control anything. Um, it talks about um, it as trying to hold on to a vapor. Like you see like a cloud, a little puff, and you're trying to like hold on to it in that very shape that it's in. But as soon as you touch it, it changes there's, there's no way to hold on and, and, um, and control things. What else? Um, we, it can also lead to dissociation. As I was talking about in our, in our avoidance cycle, one of the things I struggle with is trying to avoid just the complexity of life and I will say, you know what? You know what would make me feel really good right now is if I opened my phone and play that game because then I could escape what's actually happening in the room. Even though I'm not really escaping the room, this problem's still there. I'm just ignoring it, which, you know, if you ignore a mess long enough, it tends to get bigger. Um, dissociation 
can lead to addictions, like I just mentioned, um, depression, and just an overall like shutdown, you know. And basically, all of it ultimately leads to disconnection. Disconnection from God, disconnection from others, and um, disconnection from ourselves. And I think that there is a disconnect between what we, I think this is a modern thing, is that we have this disconnect between what we know and what we experience. Um, we are very left-brained. And what I mean by that is we like to think, I don't know, maybe not everybody, but I feel like um, a lot of women in the church have grown up with um, this uh, emphasis on what we know and knowing the right things instead of um, experiencing God. And what that does is that creates um, a cycle because our left brain, sorry, our left brain basically is like about our, like our explicit memory, like what is right in front of us and also like linear progressions and like how do I get from A to B, right? Um, and also, um, it's also where our language is, it is where our language center is. Our right brain is, the is actually the first thing to develop. It's where we have like our implicit memory, the memories that basically form those synapses from the time that we're born. Um, and it's also where we actually experience our, any sensations that we experience, any experience we have, it goes to the right brain first, and then our left brain can help make sense of it. But if we try to cut off the right brain, then there's nothing to make sense of. <laughs> uh, we have to allow our right brain to have it say. Um, it, when we create this cycle where we dismiss and avoid our feelings instead of listening to them, it creates more overwhelm and anxiety. So let's read one of these passages about anxiety and, um, in, that we find in Scripture and see what it really has to tell us. So if you will, turn with me to Matthew 6. So um, we, I feel like a lot of the scriptures, I don't know, I feel like every class and sermon lately has been like helping me with this talk. And so if it sounds like I'm plagiarizing, that's because I am. That's okay. Um, Matthew 6. Okay, so we just, had, we just finished a class about the Sermon of the Mount. On the Sermon on the Mount. And I can't get there fast enough. In the surrounding chapters, um, he highlights a lot of things that um, we're going to talk about tonight. I mean, in the Beatitudes, even at the beginning, he talks about those, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed, 
um, back up to verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Um, he also um, highlights in the... Um, he also highlights trust. Um, if you look at the Lord's Prayer over in chapter 6, he says, he um, encourages... Sorry, Beckett is trying to FaceTime me right now. I don't know what he's thinking. Where's his dad? <laughs> okay. Um, he encourages the disciples to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. He doesn't say... Pray that your needs will be met for now until eternity. He says, just ask for today. And that takes a lot of trust. Um, and he also talks about our perspective. He talks about laying up for yourselves treasures um, in heaven instead of on earth, because we know that those things are eternal. And he also, in the section after this talks about humility and not judging. And so I think all of these things come into play in um, this section we're going to read. We're going to start in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds in the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Which I think um, kind of harkens back to give us today's daily bread. What are some things that we learned from this passage? The first thing that I notice is that God says you are valuable. You have value to him. He says, are you not more valuable, oh no, that was right, sorry. Are you not more valuable than the birds and the flowers? And yet he takes care of them. And something else I notice is they don't have to work for it. God gives it to them. We don't have to work to get the, our burdens met and our needs met. He will take care of us. 
we put so much pressure on ourselves to take care of our own burdens. God says, I've got you. But let's talk more about how valuable we are. We are created in God's image. Um, in Genesis, he says that he made us in his image. And in Psalm 8, I'm going to read verses 3 through 6, he also talks about um, our value. Uh, David says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet. This is, this is what he created us to be. And then um, if we f- want to flip over to chapter 10, a couple pages, in, uh, starting in verse 29, he says that... Um, Uh, He says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before God, before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So we see that um, through all of this, just how much God values us. And he also knows what we need. He sees every hair on our head, so I think he sees every burden that we carry as well. So he says, fear not. God knows your basic needs. He knows that you need food and drink and clothes to put on your body, and he will take care of them. And I'd also like to suggest that he's going to take care of our emotional needs as well. He will... He is capable of, of meeting our emotional needs to be seen and soothed and safe and secure. Um, if we want to flip backwards to chapter 7, we also learn about um, how he wants us to come to him. Chapter 7, starting in verse 7, it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For any, everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks, seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him. I'm not really good at that PowerPoint thing, am I? Um, Also, 
making you flip back and forth in Matthew. But I want you to flip back over to Matthew 11, starting in verse 25. Because I really want you to take this invitation to heart that he is offering you to come to him. He's in chapter 11, beginning in verse 25. He says, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And he says, come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus invites you to come to him as a little child, trusting. He sees you. He wants you to find rest and safety with him. And he is here to provide those four S's I talked about that we so desperately crave. I want you to know also that God will give this rest to you. You cannot earn it or create it. And lastly, that Jesus offers rest for your souls. <laughs> rest for our souls might not mean the nap that you need at that very moment. Sometimes it is longer term, but um, it's, we'll, we'll um, come back to that in just a second, actually, because I'm, we're our next um, set, um, passage that I want to look at that talks about anxiety is Philippians chapter 4. I have it up on the screen, but if you want to turn over there with me, you can. Philippians 4, beginning in verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Other versions say the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul has a unique way of putting his burdens into perspective. He's actually writing this letter from prison. Um, and yet he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Does he say rejoice in your burdens always? <laughs> um, I would say no, although he also has told us about putting them in perspective. But here he says rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice that despite whatever it is that you're holding and carrying right now is happening and seems big and hard, that we know that God is bigger. 
we can trust in his steadfast love and rejoice in that. Also, another thing that um, sticks out to me in this passage is um, the effect of taking our burdens to God, of, of giving our requests to God, and that is peace. Just as Jesus said, he will offer rest for our souls. I think this is, a, um, is another way to say it. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. I want to continue, though, um, in verse, starting in verse 8. Nope. Oh, oh, oh. Forgot about this part. Which brings to mind this um, quote from A Praying Life that uh, many of us have read by Paul Miller. He says, prayer will not give you a less busy life, but a less busy heart. That quote hit me so hard when I first read it because I was looking for my physical burdens to be lifted. I was looking for less hours at work so that I could be um, at home with my kids. I was looking for ways to make life easier. But prayer doesn't always promise us that, but it will promise us rest in our souls, a less busy heart. All right, so uh, now we'll move on to the next couple of verses. Um, He continues, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned from me, I'm sorry, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I just want to show that Paul says we shouldn't let the anxious thoughts take over unchecked. We need to balance them with good things. Even though there are hard things that we go through, we have to also be able to see the light that is out there, see the See the amazing character of God that is displayed in our, in our brothers and sisters. See the help that comes at unexpected moments. See the light that um, tries to poke its little head in every once in a while. We can't overlook those things. So we have to... Um, be in control of our minds. Also, I'd also like to point out that Paul moves from the, a thought to like whatever you've learned or received um, to action. Um, he says, put that into practice. And then the experience, after we have the thought and put it into action, the experience is that God the God of peace will be with you. Um, okay. The last um, scripture 
I want to look at is our theme verse. Um, going to go, go back over to First Peter 5. I'm going to pick up in the middle of verse 5. He says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. We talked about, or um, I think that we see humility here again. Humble yourselves. What does that mean? I think it means that we acknowledge that we can't do everything. Acknowledge that we need help sometimes. Acknowledge that his ways are better than your ways and that he is powerful, but also that he cares. Sometimes we can get, we acknowledge his power, but we think that our burdens are maybe just a little too small for him. And that's not true. I think we showed that he cares about the birds and he cares about just making the flowers pretty. You know, it's not like they, well, I don't know, maybe they do. I don't know that the flowers need the petals to be beautiful to survive, but God cares enough to create beauty. I think he cares even more for us. <laughs> and then, also, and then um, picking up in verse 10, he says, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will um, himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I just realized I'm way over time. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I, I love the picture of restoration here. And um, I wanted to read um, um, the lyrics to um, the song, There Ain't No Grave. Um, because I think it really ties together about fear and shame and restoration. So I want to read it real quick. It says, Oh, shame is a prison as cruel as a grave. Shame is a robber, and he's come to take my name. Oh, love is my redeemer, lifting me up from the ground. Love is the power when my freedom song is found. Fear is a liar with a smooth and velvet tongue. Fear is a tyrant, always telling me to run. Oh, love is a resurrection, and love is a trumpet sound. Love is my weapon. I'm going to take my giants down. There ain't no grave going to hold my body down. And when I hear that trumpet sound, I'm going to rise up out of the ground. There ain't no grave that's going to hold my body down. And says, oh, there was a battle, a war between death and life, and there on a tree, the Lamb of God was crucified. And he went on down to hell, and he took back every key, and he rose up as a lion, and he set all the captives free. We do not have to live as captives of fear and shame. God came, Jesus came to overcome those things. So what I want to point out in all of these passages that we read is we don't see in these passages just a command to flip a light switch and turn off our anxiety. Sometimes we can hear passages like, don't be anxious and be like, okay. 
Yeah, there's not a light switch to turn off, it turns out. But that's not what we see here. We see an exhortation to allow God to change our hearts. Um, when Jared Hagen was here a couple weeks ago, um, he talked about three qualities that saved sinful people. He talked about humility and faith or trust and love, which I think we've talked about tonight. And he pointed out that those three qualities um, were, er, those three qualities can lead to obedience, but it doesn't work the other way around. You can't start with obedience and get to love and faith and humility. The same is true here. Um, we must realize um, that we cannot carry our burdens on our own. Um, except that God can and will help us with faith and then experience God's love. Then the anxiety will begin to lose its power over you. Um, I would like to suggest that the same qualities that save sinful people are also at work in redeeming us from the grip of anxiety. Um, it's funny because I was supposed to read the lyrics to that song right here. I am amazed at the work God has done and continues to do in my life relating to mental health, and it has strengthened my faith in the restorative work of the cross. And I pray that each of you can experience that as well. Um, so quickly, because I know I am way over time. Um, how do we take our anxieties to Jesus? Just from an anxiety perspective, I'd say the first step is to be still. Um, slow down, get quiet, take stock of what you're feeling in your body. Find an emotion chart like this so that you can maybe understand your emotions that you've never allowed yourself to feel before. Maybe you don't even know how to describe what it is you're feeling. Something like this, really cool. You're like, oh, I didn't know that word. I could use that word, but that actually works here. And then look at kind of the root cause of some of the, the root of those things. Like, look at all of the things that um, have to do with fear, the feeling of being helpless or frightened or overwhelmed or worried or inadequate inferior, worthless, insignificant, excluded, persecuted, nervous, exposed. All of those have to do with her anxiety. So be still and take stock in, those, in what you're actually feeling and acknowledge those things. Also, self-regulating and grounding techniques are really great to helping us be still and slowing down and stop trying to just push through things, but actually sit and acknowledge what it is that you're holding. The second thing is um, practicing mindfulness, which sounds like a fancy, uh, you know, psychology word, but it's really about paying attention to what you're paying attention to. Um, pay attention to what you're experiencing, because that shapes our implicit memory and our beliefs. Pay attention, um, we have, and it's also something that we have to practice. We have to practice becoming distracted, we have to practice paying attention to our thoughts 
and our sensations in our bodies because we practice every day becoming distracted. Like, that's something we do. So we have to practice paying attention to our, to our thoughts. Um, I think of um, take every thought captive. That's what this makes me think of. Um, also, journaling and therapy are also really great tools if you're struggling with this. The third thing is inform your fears. Reshape your experience. Find, find the lie and then that you're believing about your fear and your shame and replace it with truth. This, in, this involves us being in Scripture. If you feel, if you believe the lie, I am alone, you can go to Isaiah 41, 13 that says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. If you believe this is my fight to fight, you can turn to Exodus 14, verse 14, that says, The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. If you believe the lie, I can't relax until everything is done. Flip over to Psalm 3, verse 5, where David said, I lay down and slept, and I woke up again because the Lord sustained me. And if I believe the lie that picking up my phone and playing games on it relaxes me, and that I can escape and relax by simply playing this game or scrolling through Facebook or the news. Then I could go back to 1 Peter 5, verse 10, that says, God will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Um, whatever you listen to the most, will impact what you believe about yourself and God and the world. So make sure that you're listening to truth. And lastly, pray. Now, I didn't, I, I, I brought it up last, but it, you can see it's not in that progression because um, this can be done first, last, or in conjunction with all these other steps. I mean, when I'm trying to be still, when I'm trying to get through a panic attack, I have prayed. Dear Lord, I don't know what this feeling is. I don't like it. It's overwhelming me right now, and I need your help. Please make this nausea or this tingling feeling or this tightness in my chest go away and keep me safe until it passes. <laughs> I've said, please help, me find, please help me find the help I need to get to the bottom of this because it's preventing me from being the servant I want to be for you. Pray through the chaos cut through the noise, verbalize your thoughts. If, if you can't get them out the first time, slow down and try again. Ask God to help you find the words. Also, in practicing mindfulness, you can journal your prayers. Um, um, it really helps in slowing down our racing mind. And then you can ask God to show you the truth about the burdens you carry. Ask God to allow you to feel his presence and tell him that you want to know him more. In the prayer class we just finished, um, we learned about praying his promises back to him and finding comfort in truth. Acknowledge his desire to make you whole and ask him to take the burden that you are carrying.
um, when I was young. Um, back when we had like the WWJD bracelets that were really popular, there was also one that said PUSH, that stood for Pray Until Something Happens. And um, <laughs> I, I used to think that this meant like pray until you see God answer to your very specific prayer. And maybe that was the intent, I'm not sure. But maybe we can reimagine it this way. Pray until something happens within you. Um, prayer, we, as we learned in the prayer class, was that prayer doesn't change God, it changes you. So just because you don't see something happen immediately, stay with it. Last, I want to end with another song lyric, because these are my soundtracks that inform me every day. I have, um, it is called a song called Best News Ever. And it says, some say, don't give up and hope that your good is good enough. Head down, keep on working. If you can earn it, you deserve it. Some say, push on through. After all, it's the least you can do. But don't buy what they're selling because it couldn't be further from the truth. Some say, don't ask for help. God helps the ones who help themselves. Press on, get it right, otherwise get left behind. Some say he's keeping score. So try hard, then try a little more. Hold up, if this were true, explain to me what the cross is for. What if I were to tell you that the fight's already been won? Well, I think your day's about to get better. What if I were the one to tell you that the work's already been done? It's not good news, it's the best news ever. So won't you come, come all you weary and you burdened, you heavy laden and you hurting. For all of you with nothing left, come and find rest. I hope that in my really long talk, I'm sorry. I hope that I've given you some things to consider and some tools for helping you struggle better with anxiety. Sisters, I want each of you to know that you are not alone. And finally, I want to end with this, quote, this fantastic quote from Kurt Thompson, who um, I, he's got some amazing books. He's an MD and also a preacher and talks a lot about psychology. But he says, the question is not, what am I going to do about this? But who am I going to do this with? I'll leave you with that.